0: Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit BrainwashCoffeeCo.com and use promo code recovery Survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions. And takes a deep dive into spiritual principles.
1: Drugs allowed me not to be me. And I spent so much time not being me, I forgot how to be me. One until that third attempt where I went to the treatment for the VA, um, stayed in, re- in treatment like 18 months. That was the first glimpse I ever got at recovery. Like I really felt like there was life after dope.
0: My guest today is named Jack Brown. He is an Army veteran and the founder of Peer-to-Peer Whole Wellness in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, Jack.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jack Brown. I am the CEO and founder and executive director of Peer-to-Peer Whole Wellness, but I'm a person also in long-term recovery. By the grace of God, I haven't found the need to to use any mind-altering chemicals. Since April first,
0: twenty fifteen. Oh, that's awesome, man! And and I love th- I love the way that you phrase that. You haven't felt the need to use any mind altering substance, and I think it's something that I say pretty regularly on the show. So people that listen are like, "Oh, he's going to say this again." But I had a guest on. Oh, three or four months ago. And she said, I'm working to, to live a life where I no longer feel the need to escape my reality. And that has stuck with me, man, because that is what we're doing in recovery. It's not just putting the drugs down or the alcohol, but it's building this new life where we no longer need to escape.
1: Oh, yeah, man, I agree. My uh, my grand sponsor before he was even my grand sponsor, I, I heard him. Uh, at a speaker jam one time and he talked about a drug. He said, what is a drug? The drug is a mind-altering, mood-changing chemical. So it doesn't necessarily has have to be that physical substance, right? What I mean by that is I'm I'm a tennis shoe junkie. I love tennis shoes, right? And I'm I, I got I buy tennis shoes to donate tennis shoes so I can go buy some more tennis shoes, right? Because it changes the way that I feel. And I know somebody gonna say, what you buy 10 shoes to give yeah, because my wife will not let me buy another pair of 10 shoes until I donate like four or five, because there's no more room, right? But it's not about the shoes, it's about how it makes me feel at the time when I'm trying to change the way that I'm feeling, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes so much sense, man. I can totally relate to that and I was kind of the same way with, with the podcast, honestly, like in the beginning, it was such an obsession of like looking at different equipment and like watching review videos. And then like, Oh, let's, let's get a new mic. Let's get a new soundboard. Let's get some new lights, you know, like finding all the different things. And, and I could totally relate because it was like, when I went to the store to pick that up, it was like this sense of just like yes like so much excitement like the dopamine's going off like i bought something new like yes
1: yeah let, let's go a little deeper with that right let's let's ask ourselves i'll ask me what was i feeling at the time that caused so much discomfort i needed to find something outside of self to be able to cope right mm-hmm. you know what okay i know the microphone made me feel good right but what was I going, what was going on internally? Like, was the job like really like depressing? Was it the relationship? Was it, was it grief? You know, the loss of a loved one. What was actually really going on? Was it the uncomfortable conversation I I needed to have with my, my son about not knowing how to be a father? Because I, I chose to dibble and dabble in substances when he was growing up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where the real work of of recovery begins is when we start to peel back those layers and see those patterns that we have in our life. And we can see like, like you're talking about when we're in these uncomfortable situations or when we're having to deal with conflict or different things that come up life on life's terms, how do we deal with those? And I found even in my life, now that the drugs are gone, I still find myself using outside things to try to try to change the way i feel you know whether that be food money buying stuff you know whatever it is i still you know there's still things where i haven't addressed all the underlying issues and sometimes i still find myself trying to escape through other means
1: correct and and that's basically what i meant like drugs or any mind-altering mood-changing chemical like a lottery ticket could be a drug like just for yeah that scratch off i I forgot the light bill was due while I was scratching, right? Changed the way that I felt. So, you know, a lot of people don't get that. You know, fortunately, you know, I'm a member of Narcotics Anonymous, right? And so I've done a little bit of step work. I haven't completed all 12. But in step one, it talks about how do you know when your disease event has been active, right? When I'm obsessing and compulsing over something, you know, and and like you, um, I do photography, right? And so I remember when I wanted to buy a new camera, man, I went to sleep looking at cameras and reviews and, and <laughs> specs and woke up doing the same thing, and you know, and then a, a friend of mine messed up and told me of a place where you can go rent a camera and try it out. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> that helps my addiction a lot, right? Now I'm, I'm like locked in in obsession right now. So that's how I know when my disease is active, like when I'm obsessing and compulsive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially in the the beginning, I think it it took a while for me to realize when I was falling into that obsession and compulsion. And like you, like I've, I've done a little bit of step work and now I can begin to identify when I'm in that. But in the beginning, I was so focused on you know, what we think of drugs and alcohol. I wasn't thinking about other things that changed the way that I felt about it, but I, I relate so much to just everything you shared about, you know, just being obsessed with things with, you know, just laser focused on things. I think that's one thing that, that, can be both a positive and a negative. You know, if we use that obsession and compulsion and we focus on positive things, we can make a huge difference in our world and our family and our community. Uh, and, and there's so many success stories of addicts that have become CEOs of these multi-million billion dollar companies and stuff and i think that's where if we can focus our energy and that and that in in a positive manner we can be successful but like you said we can get so caught up in just the small things you know a camera a microphone whatever whatever the flavor of the week is we can become so locked in on that 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 just like when we were using a substance we we start to neglect other parts of our lives we start to neglect the spirituality side of of our recovery we start to neglect our family we might miss a bill we might you know we start to to lose focus on what's important and we just get so hyper focused on this one thing
1: in the beginning of my recovery it, it was just I just thought it was the drugs I didn't know it was the thinking I didn't know it was the obsession and the compulsing You know what I'm saying? I didn't know it was about changing the way that I felt, right? And so when I heard those old cliches keep coming back and this, that, and the other, it was cliche, but it meant for me today that I had to keep coming back X amount of days in order to gain some type of foundation in recovery, learn something about recovery, right? And to mature in my recovery. What do I mean by that? I mean, now I have the awareness that uh, I'm obsessing and compulsing over this camera, Which is changing the way that I feel now, right? But it wasn't until I stayed around other recovering addicts that I even knew that that was a thing, right? I just thought I had a new, a new hobby. Oh, I like photography.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally get that, man. Well, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could kind of share a little bit of your story, kind of help the listeners relate I mean obviously if you're in recovery and, and you've been listening to the conversation this far you're, you're probably relating to what we're sharing but I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about you and and how you got to where you are today
1: okay so'm i I'm an open book and I'm a short book right because we all know what it was like in in the midst right kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation every ever since I can remember even even as a kid, uh, I just felt like I never fit in, right? And so um, high school was miserable for me until I started drinking, because you know I was focused on social acceptability and not being an authentic version of myself. I didn't even know what those words meant because I wasn't given the language at that time. But I knew I felt like I never fit in and I wanted to fit, right? And so I started drinking in high school and uh, in my mind, I I was the life of the party. Right. And I I have I was a blackout drunk and uh, people would have to tell me what I did the night before. And of course, it was a conversation piece and and whatnot. But what I found out was that while I was thinking I was the life of the party, people were looking at me as foolish. Right. And so, again, my little fragile, non-existent self-esteem and ego was crushed because, you know, what I was trying to accomplish and drinking had an adverse effect where it still had a negative connotation. And so I, I kind of went from there and um, decided to join the military. And so I joined the army and again, trying to focus on self-discovery and learning about myself, I didn't feel like I fit in. And so I uh, manipulated a way to get out. I hurt my knee. And so I got out of the military under medical conditions and whatnot, and my parents passed away. And not knowing how to grieve, that's pretty much when my addiction spun out of control. And, and whatnot. And so I started dabbling in in various substances, you know, so I won't go down the long list. Just know in clinical form, <laughs> they call me a polysubstance user, meaning, you know, I pretty much use anything and everything that would change the way that I felt. Right. So that way we don't have to go down this long list. And, and plus, I don't want to do any harm and possibly make anybody feel uncomfortable. Right. Just know. There was no amount of substances on on this earth that I wasn't willing to use to change the way that I felt. So I I really felt like I spent the next 15 years in survival suicide mode. Like I I didn't want to be here. I didn't understand why my parents had to pass away. I actually felt like they left me right? Um, and things of that nature and doing a little work later and talking to some therapists later, you know, um, the truth of the matter is I, I have abandonment issues and I use drugs to cover up my um, drug. I use drugs to cover up the way that I felt or to cope, help me cope with what I felt, you know, that missing piece. And so one day, I decided, no, I didn't decide anything. The course decided I caught a case and the course decided that I needed to go to treatment. And so um, even then I was straight out of the fence. I knew I needed treatment. I wanted to go to treatment, but um, not being secure in who I was, you know, I was still struggling with social acceptability so I was stray defense so I wanted to be the cool guy that was going to get recovery and but I still wanted to have the same friends cuz you know by now in my mind I I've, I've accumulated some street credibility and I wanted to hold on to that that reputation you know I, I I took a lot of time and destruction to create that monster and how dare I let that go and become a, a productive member of society and things of that nature and that's just another fear or cover up on just being me, you know, drugs allowed me not to be me, and I spent so much time not being me, I forgot how to be me. And so, fast forward, going to treatment that first time wasn't successful. Um, ended up going to treatment again, wasn't successful. It wasn't until that third attempt where I went to the treatment for the VA. I um, stayed in, re- in treatment like eighteen months, and. That was the first glimpse I ever got at recovery. Like, I really felt like there was life after dope. You know what I mean? And I started chasing life after dope. Like, it had a whole new meaning. Because at that point, I finally realized that I had only been surviving and not living. Recovery gives us an opportunity to live. You know, I'm a high school dropout. Not bragging about but I, I have an associate's degree now. I have a GED and an associate's degree, you know, and I got my GED in prison, you know, so a lot of people don't know just something as simple as a GED, something as simple as that accomplishment means a lot to me because prior to that, I just felt nothing but despair. Now I have a few accomplishments under my belt, right? Uh, And it wasn't for anyone else. It was solely for me. I always wanted to be a college kid you know certain recovery literature talks about you know you stay in recovery long enough lost dreams are awakened <laughs> you know what i mean and that was a lost dream for me and and to like live out that dream you know was real for me i actually have a non-profit now right i help run a non-profit and we do service work in the community i've always wanted to help the community right but because it wasn't socially accepted i I did what everybody else did and just kind of shunned it away. Right. But that's my service commitment nowadays. You know what I mean? So yeah. And I, and I'm sorry if I ramble.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good, man. You're good. And, and I love that you brought up the, the quote out of the literature about lost dreams, awaken and new opportunities present themselves, man. Cause that is, that is exactly what I picture, like the essence of recovery. Cause that's, it's so much more like we've talked about throughout this whole episode than just putting down the drugs and th- and that's part of the reason that i continue to go to meetings is because i've learned in my time in meetings that it's not just the drugs and i need i need to continue to work towards this new way of life you know there's always room for improvement there's always things that i can learn from other people in recovery and it's when I think that I got this. It's when I think that I'm good. It's when I think I don't need to go to meetings anymore. That's when I'm in trouble. Cause I've done that before where I quit going to meetings for a little while and then I went back out and I know I found the solution. I have to stay in that process. And, and there's a, there's an old timer that goes to one of my meetings and he always talks about, um, we get better at what we practice. And he has, um, I think he just celebrated 26 years, 27 years. I can't remember exactly. He's been clean for, a really long time since the nineties. And, uh, you know, he still comes to meetings multiple times a week and he still shows up and chairs the same meeting and holds a service position. And, and I think that's inspiring to see those people that have stuck and stayed and that they continue to do the work because he even comes in and he'll be vulnerable and he'll share where he's at. And like, Hey, I'm struggling in this area. You know, like, like we were talking about, it's no longer the drugs, but I'm struggling with with this other obsession i'm struggling with my addiction manifesting in this other way and i think it's so important for us to see that even once once we've been around for a little while there's still work that can be done we can still improve our lives we can still learn how to apply these spiritual principles that we talk about in our daily lives because that's the most important part and that's what i tell people uh, like guys that i sponsor and stuff it's all fine and good if I can go to a meeting for an hour and I can share well and I can quote out quote out the literature and and sound good in front of everybody for an hour, but if I'm not applying these spiritual principles that we learn in our steps and in our literature in my life, then it's not really benefiting me in any way. You know, I'm just going in there and like everybody look at me, look how good I am for an hour, but but that's, that's not important. It's what does my life look like outside of a meeting? How am I, how am I handling myself? How am I talking to other people? How am I treating other people? How am I living life when, when nobody's around? That's what the important part is.
1: And and I, I have to agree, you know, um, man, my, my journey, I've been so fortunate and blessed to have a variety of people to come in my life at a certain time and share just the just right nugget that I need. Right, you know, uh, early in my recovery, I was I was, what word do I want to use here? I was I don't want to say I was misled, um, but I was I was fooled. I was blinded, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, you have these individuals that can quote the literature, the you know, paragraph, page, everything, right? And it just sounds so profound in a meeting. Right. And for that hour, they are the perfect member of whatever 12 step fellowship or however you find yourself in the recovery journey. Right. And then outside of the meeting, I mean, they were like a total asshole, bro. You know, what I mean, I worked with this one guy and the the literature, the speech didn't add up to the lifestyle, right? And so a a good friend of mine, she said, Jack, focus on the people that are living the program and not talking the program. And so my focus changed right then. So now I could understand what you were saying, like the old timer that's been there 25, 26 plus years still cleaning up the meeting hall and emptying ashtrays and making coffee. I'm like, in the beginning, you know, 30 days clean. I'm like, man, I'm doomed. I'm, I got to make coffee for the rest of my life. Like for real? <laughs> Just to stay clean? Are you serious right now? You know what I mean? But it was not, it was the little thing. It Now, fast forward, you know, uh, maturing, right? Uh, now I see it's the service work. It's that that component that keeps me clean. Right? And service work is not only limited to the rooms of what said membership you're with. Even if it's just a church, it's not about being a good church member for that hour at Sunday service. It's what do you do outside of the building when you leave the building? How do you live your life outside of the rooms? Right. And so I try to be a good person. Well, I don't try to be. I am a good person. Let me say it right. I'm a good person outside of the rooms period. I do good things outside of the rooms. You know what I mean? I'm not just confound. I'm not just in protective custody and being a good member while in the rooms. I'm practicing what everyone has taught me up until this point to do outside of the rooms.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And you already kind of touched on it, but I'd love if you could talk about it a little bit more. You were talking about the nonprofit that you work with. And I think even like you just said, that's another form of service. You know, I think in the beginning I kind of had the mindset of like service has to be at the group. It has to be, you know, an official, whatever, but services any, can be anything. I think this podcast can be a form of service. I think the conversation we're having is a form of service. So I would love to hear more about the nonprofit and, and what you do for what you do with them. And, and if it's, if there's people that are listening that want to get involved, how they can do that.
1: All right. So, um, Again, I'm the executive director for Peer to Peer Whole Wellness. That's what they number two. And so um we provide the actual organization provides mental health counseling, substance use counseling, peer support, peer mentorship, supportive employment, and life skills, right? But what I like the most are or or is Our outreach program called Feeding the Forgotten. Every second Saturday, we go into the homeless community, downtown Dallas, and we provide a hot meal, hygiene items, and a conversation to that said population, right? Um, Every third Tuesday, we go into various low-income neighborhoods and we do pop-up food banks for those individuals that don't have transportation to the grocery store and get fresh produce and things of that nature, right? Um, If you... You can always follow us on any social media platform, YouTube, Facebook, IG, and LinkedIn, right? If you want to volunteer, feel for free to reach out at peer to peer with a number two, whole wellness at gmail.com. Um, I have a pretty speedy like turnaround time to reply to your message to get you the information that you would like, right? But um my sponsor taught me that service work to keep you clean. I didn't understand that, right? And what happens with service work is a, they say a grateful addict won't use, right? Service work keeps me grateful. One, it gets me out of self. When I think I'm having a bad day, let me go be of service to someone else and realize how that person is like their day is 10 times worse than mine. And so when I realized that, then all of a sudden my gratitude kicks in, right? Um, case in point, past few days, a week or so, it's been raining here in Texas, right? In Dallas, right? Like cats and dogs, right? Flooding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm seeing people up under bridges and campsites and things of that nature. And I'm, I'm like, man, I remember when that was me, <laughs> right? And then my gratitude kicks in. That's not me, right? And then my brain says, well, how can I do more? How can I be more of a service? So I go get a case of water and I just pass out water. I know that sounds simple, but you'd be amazed or how appreciative that someone is for a fresh bottle of water and a conversation. So that's in a nutshell, what we do at Peer to Peer.
0: Mm, mm. I love that, man. I love that. And and you're so right about the bottle of water, man. Cause when I, I am all over the Metroplex with, with my job and I usually throw a couple extra bottles of water in my lunchbox. And then when I'm at the, if I'm at a stoplight or something and there's somebody panhandling, and I'm like, sorry, I don't have any money, but would you like a bottle of water? And almost every time they're like, yes, that's awesome. And, and they're always appreciative. And I think that that's so, so cool, man. And, and I love your heart for helping others. And, and you're totally right, man. Like service is such an important piece of recovery. And, and like you mentioned, getting out of self, I, I didn't understand in the beginning, what, what people were talking about in meetings when they were talking about being of service and that being such an important part of recovery. But that that's such a huge part. Cause if I'm, if I'm helping other people, I don't have time to focus on me. I don't have time to obsess and think about all these things that are going on. And like you said, then that gratitude piece that comes in there, not just like not in, not in the way of like looking down of like, Oh, look at these people down here. Like, I'm so glad I'm not down there, but just being grateful for the simple things, man. Cause I don't know about you, but for me, I get so caught up in the day-to-day life and being busy and, you know, going to work and, and providing for my family and come home and take care of the kid and get dinner ready and all this stuff that, I, I find it challenging at times to find that gratitude, but when I can take a few minutes and, and slow down and look at where I'm at and find the gratitude, man, it's so powerful because I, I take for granted so many things, you know, being employed, having a place to live, having a wife, having a kid, you know, like all these things that were, were never even possible when I was using. And I take those for granted. And like you said, just being of service and, and that, the gratitude just comes in naturally when you're helping other people. And, and like you said, a a grateful addict won't use, like it's so crucial to my recovery, to be of service, to be involved in, and even, Selfishly, like I feel good after I'm of service. Like I feel it's a self-esteem boost, like being able to help other people. It makes me feel better about myself. The 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 same old timer that I was talking about earlier that has, you know, a couple of decades clean. He says, if we want to raise our self-esteem, we have to do esteemable things. And I've held on to that because when I do things to help other people, it also helps me because it helps boost my self-esteem. It helps me be be in a, in a attitude of gratitude. Like there's so many things that are beneficial to me. And, and it sounds so selfish, but that's just the best way I can describe it. Like getting out of self and helping others is, is just so important.
1: I mean, I, I understand it. Right. I get it. I I promise you, like when these events that we do keeps me grounded, it keeps me going. It's a constant reminder, you know, of where I've been, where I'm going, and, and what more can I do? Right. And, and it does, it, it fluffs up my self-esteem. Like, Oh my God, my, I would, I would take off running bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, I legit did uh, a feeding one day and jumped on the highway and drove to Shreveport cause I was just, I was on a natural high and I just wanted to see my family. And I wanted to be more appreciative, you know, because I remember in my addiction, I I didn't have family and I didn't, I couldn't get on the highway and go see people and things of that nature. I, and I know that sounds materialistic, but I remember when I first got my first 30 day keychain. I just had a key tag. I didn't even have a key to put on it, bro.
0: Mm.
1: Now I got keys to buildings and codes and different people's houses. You know what I mean? And so when I take the time to look back at the journey where I started and where I'm at today. Yes, I'm grateful. <laughs>
0: mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can relate to that so much, man. I, I put my first key tag on on my backpack because I didn't have anywhere else <laughs> to put it. I didn't have any keys to put on
1: it. <laughs> no keys. Nobody was giving me no keys, bro. <laughs> That's right.
0: That's right, man. Oh man, now I'm now I'm sitting here like reminiscing on the old days and like that gratitude's flooding back in, like just from our conversation, thinking about like the early days of going to meetings and like riding my bike to work and riding my bike to the meeting and. Man, this has been such a great conversation, and and I'm so grateful that that we were able to connect and and you were able to come on here and and share part of your story. And and I just love what you're doing, and I'm hoping here in the not-too-distant future I can get involved with peer-to-peer. And I really do appreciate you coming on the show today, Jack.
1: I appreciate it, Brett, man. And you're more than welcome to come out and help. And look, this is the thing. This is why I say there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes of these events, bro. Like, we have to make hygiene kits. We have to buy this stuff. And I'm not asking for monetary donations. If you can just come give your time to help make it, right? You know what I mean? I'm I'm cool with that just in itself. You know what I mean? Or if you just help get the word out. Like, hey, I know if you want to do some service work, I know organization. Period to period is doing this thing over here. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't take a, a physical attribute. Sometimes just verbal is more than enough help, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. I meant to say that. So thank you for taking the time and the interest in wanting to hear anything I have to say about recovery and having me on your show. Absolutely, man. It was it was a pleasure. And I'm so grateful that.
0: That we got connected, and you know we're we're not too far from each other. So I'm excited to see where this friendship can go, and I I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day. And I know you were on the road there for a little bit, so thank you for fitting me in your schedule, man.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, brother. You have an awesome rest of your day. Don't be a stranger. Give me a call. <laughs> yes,
0: sir. Yes, sir. All right. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I'm so glad I was able to meet somebody here in my own community that's doing the incredible work that you're doing. If you guys are interested in getting involved with peer-to-peer, there are links in the show notes to the website as well as different social media profiles. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website, as well as connect with us on social media, where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.